Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 91. Uh, yesterday we crossed the uh, the milestone of 90, so uh, not bad progress in about three months' time that we've been doing the podcast, just about um, one episode a day on the average. So that's kind of what I was shooting for and happy to make it to this point. Today we continue our journey with Job, and we are listening to Job's retort against his friends. Uh, This one takes up four chapters. We did chapter 26 and 27 yesterday. Today we'll look at chapter 28 and chapter 29. So let's get started. The book of Job, chapter 28. We all know how silver seems the rocks. We've seen the stuff from which gold is refined. We're aware of how iron is dug out of the ground and copper is smelted from rock. Miners penetrate the earth's darkness, searching the roots of the mountains for ore, digging away in the suffocating darkness. Far from civilization, far from the traffic, they cut a shaft and are lowered into it by ropes. Earth's surface is a field for grain, but its depths are a forge firing sapphires from stones, chiseling gold from rocks. Vultures are blind to earth's riches. Hawks never lay eyes on it. Wild animals are oblivious to it. Lions don't know it's there. Miners hammer away at the rock. They uproot the mountains. They tunnel through. They find all kinds of beautiful gems. They discover the origins of rivers and bring earth's secrets to light. But where, oh where, Will they find wisdom? Where does insight hide? Mortals don't have a clue, haven't the slightest idea where to look. Earth's depths say, it's not here. Ocean deeps echo, never heard of it. It can't be bought with the finest gold. No amount of silver can get it. Even famous Ophir gold can't buy it. Not even diamonds and sapphires. Neither gold nor emeralds are comparable. Extravagant jewelry can't touch it. Pearl necklaces and ruby bracelets? Why bother? None of this is even a down payment on wisdom. Pile gold and African diamonds as high as you like. They can't hold a candle to wisdom. So where does wisdom come from? And where does insight live? It can't be found by looking no matter how deep you dig, no matter how high you fly. If you search through the graveyard and question the dead, they say, we've only heard rumors of it. God alone knows the way to wisdom. He knows the exact place to find it. He knows where everything is on earth. He sees everything under heaven. After he commanded the winds to blow and measured out the waters, arranged for the rain and set off explosions of thunder and lightning, he focused on wisdom, made sure it was all set and tested and ready. Then he addressed the human race. Here it is, fear of the Lord, that's wisdom, and insight means shunning evil. Job continued in his response, Oh, how I long for the good old days, when God took such very good care of me. He always held a lamp before me, and I walked through the dark by its light. Oh, how I miss my golden years when God's friendship graced my home, when the Mighty One was still by my side and my children were all around me, when everything was going my way and nothing seemed too difficult, 
when I walked downtown and sat with my friends in the public square, young and old greeted me with respect. I was honored by everyone in town. When I spoke, everyone listened, then hung on my every word. People who knew me spoke well of me. My reputation went ahead of me. I was known for helping people in trouble and standing up for those who were down on their luck. The dying blessed me and the bereaved were cheered by my visits. All my dealings with people were good. I was known for being fair to everyone I met. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. I was champion of abused aliens. I grabbed street, three, street thieves by the scruff of the neck and made them give back what they'd stolen. I thought, I'll die peacefully in my own bed, grateful for a long and full life, a deep-rooted and well-watered, a life limber and dew-fresh. My soul soaked through with glory and my body robust until the day I die. Men and women listened when I spoke, hung expectantly on my every word. After I spoke, they'd be quiet, taking it all in. They welcomed my counsel like spring rain, drinking it all in. When I smiled at them, they could hardly believe it. Their faces lit up, their troubles took wing. I was their leader, establishing the mood and setting the pace by which they lived. Where I led, they followed. Well, I think you can see where we're headed here. <laughs> In chapter 28, Job asks an important question. Where does wisdom come from? And he goes through this litany of where silver comes from, where gold comes from, where copper comes from, where iron comes from, where all the, the precious jewels and gemstones are found deep in the earth. And then he says, but where does wisdom come from? We don't have a clue. We don't have the slightest idea where to look. Yet the Bible says, we grow wise by walking with the wise. Now, I'm going to give Job a break here because I really believe that the book of Job is some of the oldest written literature in the Bible. And, and so Job didn't have a Bible. He didn't even have an Old Testament. I'm not sure he even had the entirety of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I, I don't think Job had all of that. So let's give Job the benefit of the doubt and figure he didn't have a Bible. So he doesn't understand that wisdom comes from walking with the wise. And yet he alludes to that constantly. Or at least he selfishly alludes to the fact that people who walked with him became wise. So he thinks that he's wise, at least. He just doesn't get it, does he? He thinks that wisdom can't be found, verse 26, 27. That wisdom can't be found no matter how deep you dig, no matter how high you fly. You can't find it by looking. If you search through the graveyard and question the dead, they'll only say they've heard rumors of it. God alone knows the way to wisdom. Well... Giving Job the benefit of the doubt, maybe that's true. God certainly knows what is wisdom and what's not. And that 
the, the amazingly good news is that he's given you and I the ability to discern what is wise and what is not. That's why we can read the book of Job and say, what's going on here? Is this the way God acts? Is this who God is or is it not? Does God hide wisdom from us? No. No, in fact, later in the Bible, it's going to say wisdom cries in the streets. Wisdom begs for anybody to come and hear her voice. Solomon is going to lament the fact that wisdom can easily be had, but nobody looks. Nobody listens. Nobody wants wisdom. They want their way. And Solomon's point is made now, centuries earlier, by Job. He says God focused on wisdom after he'd created everything else. He made sure it was all set and tested and ready. Then he addresses the human race and says, here it is. Fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And insight means shunning evil. Fear of the Lord to Job is wisdom. And he certainly fears God. To some extent, he thinks it's God who's hit him. He thinks that God will hit him again. He, he certainly fears God with an unhealthy fear. He isn't just in awe of God. He isn't just respectful of God. He's always been afraid of God. That's why he made sacrifices every time his kids got together and had a party just in case in their partying, the kids had said or done something to displease God. He wanted that paid for. He reminds me of the people who used to come up to me in church on Sunday morning before church started and say, Pastor, we were on vacation the last two weeks, and they would hand me a check and say, here's our tithe. I wouldn't want to die before the offering gets taken up and not have it in the plate. And, and I of course, I accepted it graciously, shook their hand and thanked them and welcomed welcomed them back. I always wanted to say, why didn't you pay it before you left? You were in a lot more danger out dragging that fifth wheel down the highway for 8,000 miles than you are here in church. Why didn't you mail it in from the road? Why didn't you just call your bank and have them electronically deposit it if you were that worried about it? The answer is they weren't that worried about it or they would have done one of those things. The, they wanted to bring it to me and hand me the check so that I would know they were back and I would know they were tithing. They did it to attract attention to themselves. I've been in administrative board meetings for the church where where we had new people on the board, people that had never served in the church in a leadership role before, but they had come, they had met Christ as their Lord and Savior, they had begun to, to work and minister in the church, the church recognized their gifts and graces for leadership and elected them to the board for the first time. And we, we had our first board meeting and two or three of these folks on the board now out of nine or 12, however many there were, two or three of them were brand new and they would start raising new ideas. Pastor, have we ever thought about building a library, taking one of those storage rooms, clearing it out, 
putting it in shelves and making it our church library. Everybody's got books. We could share them all. It would be free. All you have to do is check them out and bring them back. And, and we could have a great library. Great idea. You're in charge of it. That's what I would always do. If somebody had a great idea, I put them in charge of it. If they had the idea, they've got the burden, they'll see it through. So I'd say, sure, you're now the librarian. And that person would scurry off and, and organize the library. And, and in three of the churches I pastored, somebody did. And it was always good. Somebody else raises their hand and says, you know, I noticed that when we turn out the lights for worship so that we can see the screen, if you look along the west wall of the church, you can see sunlight coming in between the bricks. Can we get that mud jacked or get that fixed or, or do something about that? That's kind of scary. Well, about that time, this guy slams his hand down on the table and he says, that's about enough. I've heard about enough of these new people. You know, in every group, there's one guy who you could take a picture of him and the caption you could put under it would say, get off my yard, <laughs> right? Get off my lawn. Here's that guy slams his hand down on the table says, I've about heard enough from these new people. You all don't know how things go around here. You're brand new. You ought to sit down and shut up and listen for about a year and figure out how we do things here. <laughs> There's always one. And, and he is not the epitome of wisdom. He's the one who who wants to define how things go around here because he's been around a long time and he thinks he knows. And, and you start to get some of that from Job. Fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. Insight means shunning evil. Insight does not mean shunning evil, does it? I mean, that would be sinlessness. That would be Righteousness, at least righteousness of works. Insight means growing in the depth of loving people so that you can discern and know more about them. That's how you gain insight, is by spending time in relationship. Insight doesn't mean shunning evil. Job is way off the farm again. Fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. Job is afraid of the Lord. He's as afraid of God as I was that Elrod that slams his hand on the table and starts yelling at board members to get off his lawn. That's fear, but it's not the right kind of awe and respect. It's, it's just what those actions deserve. And now Job goes into the next chapter and he's about to show you that here's where his wisdom comes from. He says, oh, I long for the good old days when God took such very good care of me. He always had a lamp before me and I walked through the dark by its light. Oh, how I miss those golden years when God's friendship graced my home. You see my point here every time he talks about himself. 
when the mighty one was still by my side and my children were all around me, when everything went my way and nothing seemed too difficult for me. He wants the day when everything went his way. See? Well, don't we all? But that's not wisdom. That's not insight. I don't grow when everything goes my way. In fact, I get more and more spoiled and entitled and immature. I can point you to a whole bunch of people in the world today who believe it ought to go their way, who believe that reality, remember that from 18 chapters ago, remember they think that reality ought to be shaped to please them. He goes on in verse 7. When I walked downtown and sat with my friends in the public square, young and old greeted me with respect. I was honored by everyone in town. When I spoke, everyone listened. They hung on my every word. People who knew me spoke well of me. My reputation went ahead of me. I was known for helping people in trouble and standing up for those who were down on their luck. The dying blessed me. Uh, Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing for God? The dying sang his praises? You think he's right here? Or is he remembering from his own perspective? The bereaved were cheered by my visits. All my dealings with people were good. I was known for being fair to everyone I met. You see how often he refers to himself here? I mean, it's over and over. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. And I was champion of abused aliens. You know what that is right there? That series of I was eyes, I was feet, I was father, I was champion. That's blasphemy. Blasphemy is when you take what is righteously owed to God and you claim those credits, that title, that good for yourself. He's taking God's roles for himself here. Job is uttering absolute blasphemy. At at best, it's foolishness. At worst, it's blasphemy. I grab street three street thieves. I can't say that. I grabbed street thieves by the scruff of the neck and made them give back what they'd stolen. What, Job's a cop now? Doesn't this sound kind of narcissistic? Doesn't it sound a bit grandiose? He was the father, he was the champion, he was the eyes, he was the feet. He grabbed street thieves by the neck and made them give back what they'd stolen? I thought, I'll die peacefully in my own bed, grateful for a long and full life, a life deep-rooted and well-watered, a life limber and dew-fresh, my soul soaked through with glory, and my body robust until the day I die. Good heavens. If you, I mean, it's annoying just to listen to, isn't it? If you had a friend that talked about themselves this much, would you think they were righteous? Men and women listened when I spoke, hung expectantly on my every word. After I spoke, all would be quiet, taking it all in. 
They welcomed my counsel like spring rain. They drank it in. When I smiled at them, they could hardly believe it. Oh my goodness, Job. Has he gone off the farm or what? When I smiled at them, they could hardly believe it. Their faces lit up, their troubles took wing. I was their leader. I established the mood. I set the pace by which everyone lived. Where I led, they followed. Okay, Job. We'll get you a cloud and a throne here, buddy. And you can just sit on your spot. You got to be kidding me. Job has departed from humility. Job has departed from reasonability. In his, in his zeal to prove himself not guilty of whatever charges have been laid against him by whomever, not by God. God liked this guy. God really did bless him. God really did make his way light and easy. God did surround him with his family. But do you hear him giving credit to God for any of that in this chapter? I wish it was the old days when God smiled on me. When I was the center of attention. He gives, he gives God credit for fulfilling his life. But then for everything praiseworthy, he takes the credit. He doesn't call on God to help. He doesn't ask God to restore him. He just tells God he misses those days when he was the center of attention. I mean, it all sounds so incredibly narcissistic. Job has lost touch with reality, with himself, with his own self-worth. He's lost touch with humility and reality. He's just blathering now. And as you read this, it was irritating enough when he argued with his friends. Now they've shut up. They, they've given up trying to get through to him. And he bloviates this self-centered, self-motivated, self-righteous narcissism. And, and you and I look at it and we think, good heavens, Job, shut up. He was asking where was wisdom. He said that fearing God was wisdom. But he doesn't talk like he fears God. He talks like he's trying to compete with God. He's still trying to measure up. Narcissists always see the world through the lens of their own inadequacies. And so they have to blow themselves up to be grandiose, to be the center of attention, to be the guy who did the big thing, always. And if you tell a story, they'll always one-up you. Oh, you ought to, you should have seen what I went through, right? Because narcissists always see the world through the lens of their own inadequacies. As we read the book of Job, we begin to understand that Job served God righteously. His acts were righteous. His attitudes were wrong. His understanding of God was warped, colored, out of focus, sometimes just 
180 degrees in the wrong direction. I mean, I kind of felt sorry for Job in everything that he went through, but now I feel sorry for him more because he doesn't even know who God is. I get it that the fact that the devil hit him was hidden from him. And so in his warped perspective of God, he's left with nothing to believe except that God hit him. But his his insistence that he is his own solution, that he can argue his case before God and convince God that he's been unfairly punished. It's all narcissism. Isn't that clear now? After this chapter, isn't it clear that he's not just off the farm, he's off the continent. He's out in He's not out in left field. He's off in Antarctica or somewhere. He has journeyed far from the center of God's will and God's kingdom and God's dominion. And as we get closer to the end of the book, you know what's coming, right? You know God is going to weigh in on this pretty soon. But first, someone else is. And, and that's kind of exciting because there is, there is wisdom coming from a young guy, no less. And that's kind of fun for me to, to see that it's a young guy who says, all right, you guys with all your gray hair and all your get off my lawn attitudes, let's talk about real wisdom for a moment because I don't hear it coming from you guys. I'm excited that that's coming. But right here, I'm as frustrated with Job as I can possibly be. I am screaming at him. That's not who God is. That's not who you are. That's not your place. You're taking the credit for everything that God ever did in your life. And that's why you're sitting on a pile of ashes with your skin covered in pustules and everything you ever owned burned up and dead. Dude, do you not have a clue? God's standing right there, ready to help you right there, ready to help you. And you're blathering about yourself. And then I close my Bible and I go to my bed and I lay my head on my pillow. And my wife says, what was the lesson about tonight? And I say, it was about remembering that God is really close when you struggle, that you're not in charge of your own fate, that you didn't build your own fortunes that everything you have from God is a blessing, and that if you're in trouble, all you have to do is ask, and God will help you. She's like, well, of course. <laughs> she goes to sleep, and I lay there thinking, of course. Once again, the time that I've spent in the book of Job has poked me under my skin, has has brought to my own attention the times that I've taken the credit for what God's done, the times that I've thought I was my own answer, that I was my own salvation even, the times that I've thought much higher, more highly of myself than I really should have, and the times I still do. I mean, I'm old now, but I still... I still take the credit sometimes. I still grab for control. I still want to be the hero in my own story. And I'm not. 
If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have a story. If it wasn't for mercy and grace, I wouldn't still be here. If it wasn't for healing and his love, I would have folded up long, long ago. But I'm here because in the darkest night of my life, I looked up from my pillow and I said, Lord, are you still there? And I knew he was. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed his presence all around me. My thoughts were drawn to the fact that I still had brothers. I had sisters, but I didn't know it at the time. But I knew I had brothers, I had parents. I had grandparents who'd loved me and raised me and, and had me sing in church and, and encouraged me to, to teach and to preach and, and to become what God called me to become. There were people in my church in those days who created a scholarship at the school where I was going to school that was specifically for uh, a ministry student from the county in which I lived. They knew I was the only one there and they knew I was out of money and they loved me enough to help me prepare for the ministry. They're gone and in heaven now. But, but like Paul says, I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And in that moment, in the darkest moment of my life, I was suddenly acutely aware of all the people who loved me. And the fact that I was still alive, as dark as it was, I was still alive. I'd been to the doctor that day and he told me he didn't think I'd live five more years if I continued to, to undergo the things I was, I was under at that time. That was 12 years ago. I just remember feeling God's assurance that he was there, that I wasn't going to go to ruin, that he would help me and keep me and restore me. And he has. When I got my eyes off myself and simply asked the question, God, are you still there? He was right there and he still is for me and for you. Mm -hmm.